Well, over the next two weeks, I would like to take you through 1 Samuel chapters 1, 2, and 3, and take a look at some elements of parenting and really God's heart for it. Um, and then we're going to venture to 1 John that will carry us through actually the end of the year. Uh, will be a fun study, but over these next two weeks as we look at this great gift of, of parenting, as we do, I, I want to encourage you, if you're in here, if you're a grandparent, if you're a caregiver, or simply if you're a disciple of Christ, it's a great word for all of us, and so I don't want you to check out just because maybe you're like, well, I'm, I'm not in the parenting stage, or my kids are older now. It's a word for all of us this morning, and so if you would, stay there in First Samuel chapter 1, and I want to put a pause on that because I had a really cool conversation with somebody right from the church, and it has led me to just want to say thank you to you guys. Um, one of the things that's a, a privilege of being a pastor of the Ridge is one of the things I've learned over these 13 years is you all as a congregation, as a people, really have taken on to the idea that, that God has called us uh, to uh, be a royal priesthood. And what that means is that as followers of Christ, it's not just the role of a pastor, it's not just the role of an elder or a staff member to be actively involved in the ministry of the kingdom, but it's the role of all of us. And I have seen that in so many ways over these years, but especially in the last couple of weeks as we have had people in the hospital, people sick and in need, how so many of you have stepped up to, to hospital visits, uh, to meals, and you, na you name it. And so um, I had one this morning, Ann Petticord, who just wanted me to share with you guys, thank you for the last week of bringing meals and checking on her and Kevin uh, when Kevin had to go to the hospital. Um, and, and that goes, that, that thank you I know goes from many in here who have felt the hand in the ministry of, of the Ridge. And what's so cool about it is to be able to stand here as your pastor and to say, you know what, it's not just the staff and elders doing that. It, it is life group leaders, life group members, and you of the body that's doing that. And so thank you for carrying out God's mission. And thank you for being the priesthood of believers because that's who we're supposed to be. So thank you for that this morning. And so if I can clap for you, that'd be really cool. Yeah, and you can join clapping for yourself, okay? <laughs> there you go. So thank you for that. All right, pause button done, all right? First Samuel chapter one, okay? And I want to do this this morning. I want to walk through the text, all right, unpack it a little bit, and then I want to end today with three points that we get from uh, these words here. And so as we saw in the video, let's, let's be honest, parenting is not easy. There's fun times filled with laughter and joy. Uh, there are those trying times that uh, feel like they will never end, and sometimes those times uh, may seem more often than the laughter times, but Kids can be a blessing. They can also be a burden, often wonderful, sometimes awful. Now, I have two in here right now, uh, two outside these walls. Uh, so, Noah and Grace, when you hear that sometimes parenting is awful, I know that that doesn't mean that I'm saying that. But anyway, um, <laughs> but kids don't come with directions, right? They don't come with a set of direction. Uh, when they go into puberty, it doesn't come with a set of directions, right? Um, when they go into high school and, and, and things that you never imagined that you would actually 
be now in charge of helping another with that you're facing, those times don't come with a set of directions. Um, and so parenting is tough. And so there's those times when, I imagine you have done this, that you throw your hands up in the air. And I remember, I think it was like, well, it was, it was like 24 hours, less than 24 hours into being home with our first child. I'll never forget. And at what time, what time was it? Like 2 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. in the morning, and Noah would not stop crying, right? And so I remember calling the hospital, <laughs> and this is true. <laughs> I mean, this is not like added exaggeration. This is flat-up truth, okay? I called, not Annette, all right? I called the hospital and said, something must be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Witham, why? I was like, he won't stop crying. And her word to me, simply, I'll sum it up with one word, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that was the summation of it, right? So your hand's thrown up, at times even asking the question, what's the point of this, right? Um, and there's all, obviously those times where we're wondering, am I doing a good job, Right? Or am I doing a bad job? Am I, am I doing this right? Am I handling this situation right? Am I, am I telling them the right thing on this? And there's times like that, almost weekly, that that comes up, if not daily. No doubt we've been there, and we know the point of parenting. We know it, at least we uh, tell ourselves that. We, yeah, I know it, but we've got to keep it in front of us. Um, and I think the best place to find the point of parenting this is Psalm 145. I want us to read these two verses before we get to 1 Samuel. But God's word tells us that great is the Lord, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. But listen to what it says. One generation shall praise your works to another. Shall praise the works of God to one generation to the next. And shall declare your mighty acts. The point of parenting this morning is for you and I to exalt God to our kiddos to show his greatness, to show and speak of his mighty acts. That's our role, one generation to the next, that we would exalt God to our kiddos, ultimately that they would do the same with their life, with their life. And so this morning, I want us to be encouraged from this real beautiful story of, of God's hand, God's sovereignty in the work of Hannah and Samuel. And so turn with me, so, or stay there with me, 1 Samuel 1, as we see one who exalts God, and ultimately her kid does as well. So look at 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 2. I want to walk through the text with you, and then afterwards we'll get these points that come out of it. It says, now there was a certain man from, uh, we'll just say Ramah, okay, Jerry read it beautifully, uh, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jeroam, the son of Eli, Elihu, the son of Tahu, the son of Suf, of Ephra, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of, uh, of the other was, Pen it's not Penene, all right? All right? It's not Penene. I'm just, I, I got to get that out, because all week I wanted to call her Penene. And if you've never seen that line of episodes of Martin, I'm, I have. I just confess that. And anyway, I wanted to call her that all week. Anyway, the name of the other was Panana. Is that better? Uh, Panana had children, but Hannah had no children. 
And so as we begin today, we've got some characters introduced here to the story. Elkanah uh, here uh, is in the line of the Levites, as we find. He's uh, in that lineage, and he has two wives. Uh, they live near Ramah in Ephraim in central Cana. And so Elkanah, as a Levite, was to live in certain towns. If you go to the Old Testament, you will find that there were certain places that Levites were supposed to live. There was Levitical towns, um, and Ramah was not one of them. Uh, and so very interesting, Elkanah starts raising some initial questions about his decisions. And so that's one that we don't necessarily see on the surface that comes, jumps right out at us, but there is another, right, that I think hits us between the eyes this morning about Elkanah, and that's that he has two wives. It's what you would call a bigamist, all right? He is married, and he is now legally married another one at the same time. Obviously, this was a forbidden practice that God uh, did not want. Genesis 2.24 clearly states that, that a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to one wife, and they shall become one flesh. And he had children with Penina, none with Hannah, and so Hannah's barrenness becomes kind of the, the central uh, focus of the text here. It could be the reason for the second marriage. We don't know why. That's only a guess. But the story of Hannah's inability to have children becomes an important part to this letter. And Hannah's story in this letter, as we begin here, we see she's in great helplessness because being barren uh, was what would cause great distress um, not being able to have kids for a woman, especially in this culture, um, was a great struggle and one that she definitely um, faced. And so look at verse 3. Look what happens here through verse 7. It says, Now this man would go up, Elkanah, from his city yearly to worship, to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept, Hannah did, and would not eat. And so even though Elkanah seems to have strayed from the Lord's will, what did he do? He would make that yearly journey up to Shiloh, to the house of the Lord, to worship, to make sacrifices to the Lord at this yearly festival of the Lord. And so Elkanah, we see here, loved Hannah, but her rival, what would she do? She would irritate Hannah year after year. Now, it seems that there's not much interaction between the two, maybe, at any other time, except that maybe this time that they go up to the house of the Lord, and at that occasion, Penina will make uh, maybe comments, we don't know what she said, uh, but she would definitely make Hannah angry. I mean, can you imagine that? And here is this other woman with these children, and whether it's with statements or whatever it may be, Hannah felt this pressure from her. And why? Well, it says in the text here that the Lord had closed her womb. 
It's important to recognize in Scripture that whenever you have repetition, especially as this, in back-to-back sentences, uh, it's important to look at what's being said here. And the emphasis here that the Lord closed her womb is one of importance. It shows us that, that the Lord is the one who closes and opens the womb. He's sovereign over children being born and not being born. He is sovereign over that. God had promised to bless his people, the Israelites, with many descendants if they obeyed in Deuteronomy 28. And so if she is barren, it's interesting here, no doubt Elkanah's other wife, Penina, could have easily been making Hannah angry with statements maybe like this, God has not blessed you, but he's blessed me, right? God doesn't love you like he loves me. Look at my children, you have none. She could have very easily said things like that, but Hannah's condition here, I don't believe necessarily is a curse. I don't think it's anything, a reason that Hannah's done. She seems obedient. She seems faithful as we look at this first chapter. So it's probably a physical one that God has placed an issue with her, upon her, to where he has closed the womb. And we see here he wants to show a beautiful story of his sovereign grace and and working in one's life, but to show us a great point that we'll see in just a moment. But this weighed on Hannah greatly, no doubt. Um, Could you imagine every year, you know it's on the calendar, it's coming, we're going up to the house of the Lord and dreading it, right? I mean, how would that feel? You know, oh, I'm gonna see her, I'm gonna see her kids, this is gonna be a beating. And she got there and it was, it was. And it distracted her probably or tried to distract her from worshiping. And it weighed on her heart. And so look at verse 8, what happens. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? That's a typical man, all right? Right? He's, he doesn't get it. <laughs> he doesn't get it. He doesn't see it. It's right before his eyes, but he doesn't get it. It makes an interesting statement. He says, am I not better to you than ten sons? Um, Elkanah, I think in his questioning here, was not maybe the most sensitive to her condition. Uh, Basically asking, am I not enough? Am I not enough? Um, And so we find here a very desperate situation that Hannah is in. And so look what happens as a result of this. In verse 9 through 11, Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She greatly Distress, prayed to God, to the Lord, wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now Hannah prays, prays fervently here, committing her desires To who? To the Lord of hosts. This name of God here is significant because in this phrase, she's expressing something about God. It it refers to the infinite resources, the power at God's disposal as he fights and provides for his people. And so she recognizes here that, that God can change this situation of barrenness that he has the power, that he has the resources at his disposal to do that very thing. And so she calls him Lord of hosts because that's who God is. 
And she prayed, making a vow that if God would answer in giving her a son, she would give her son back to the Lord to serve his whole life, even to make uh, so much a Nazarite vow right here. And we find that back in Numbers 6, and there's more to it. But one of the things that's mentioned here is that not even a razor would go to his head is the idea that he would not even cut his hair. And that was part of the Nazarite vow. The point here is that she is committing him to service to the Lord for his life. Amazing. Amazing. And then look what verse 12 says. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. And as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Can you imagine this sight? I mean, it's an interesting sight. A couple things going on here. She's pouring her heart out. There's no noise. Just her mouth is moving, but she's pouring her heart out. She's distressed over her situation. She's asking of the Lord, Lord, would you grant me a son? But at the same time, Eli sees this, the priest, and recognizes or doesn't recognize what she's really doing. And so it leads you, and this will help us next week, to gather some things about the priest here. He doesn't even recognize fervent praying. He's off base here. It reminds me of, of those in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls on the people there, begins to indwell the disciples and the believers, and the people are standing around and looking around and saying, oh, they must be drunk on wine. And the disciples said, no, 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 we're not drunk on wine. And then they begin to, Peter shares the story of what has happened. And so it's an interesting correlation here. And that's what's happening with Hannah. She's filled with the Spirit. And she's crying out. She's pouring her heart out to the Lord of hosts. And Eli fails to recognize that until she tells him what she's doing. And then look at verse 17 through 18. Eli answered and said to her after Hannah explained. And he says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That's a significant phrase there. Because what we see here is, in spite of her distress, in spite of this desperate situation, think about her situation for a second. She's got the physical condition. She's also got the consequences of her husband's sin, right, that she is facing with the other woman who yearly provokes her. And so she's got a lot on her plate that, that she is battling with. And she prays, but she walks away, and her face was no longer sad. What you see is a, is a woman full of hope, trusting the Lord, Trusting the Lord of hosts to provide something she can't obviously on her own. She can't will it. She can't make this happen, but she knows God can provide. So she was no longer sad. She has submitted her life, this issue, her struggles to the Lord and was trusting him. And then look at verse 19 through 20. They arose early in the morning, worshiped before the Lord, returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah's wife. The Lord remembered her 
It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. So what happens here? God answers Hannah's prayer, right? This is huge. I mean, she goes from being completely, uh, obviously, barren, the, the womb is closed by God, and so what happens here? God opens the womb. He answers her prayer. a big moment barrenness to now the birth of a son named samuel his name means god hears or heard of god or he who is from god because she recognizes god did this this is from god and then look at verse 21 through 22 then the man elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow but hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. And so the Mosaic law required an offering be made to God when he granted a vow, and Elkanah sees that. He recognizes that, that a vow that Hannah made is his as well, and he goes up to the house of the Lord to do that. But Hannah does not go. Until when? Until Samuel is probably around two, most likely three though, and she will leave Samuel there when she goes to be in service in the house of the Lord forever. Amazing. This great gift, right, that she's been waiting for for all this time. But she made a vow to the Lord. And so when she goes there, she will leave him there. This isn't like dropping a kid off for, for daycare, right? This isn't like sends him off for a retreat for the weekend. This is forever. But she's going to leave him there. Then look at 23 through 28 before we get to these points that we find in this text. Elkanah, her husband, said to her in verse 23, do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord conform, excuse me, confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she was weaned. Now, excuse me, until she weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull, one ephah of flour, and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. They slaughtered the bull, brought the boy to Eli, and she said to uh, him, O oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. That had been a few years ago. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. And so I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And then listen to this last verse. And he worshiped the Lord there. And so what's happening here? Hannah is filled with gratitude. So thankful. She remembers the word of the Lord and the law that she is to bring a sacrifice. When the Lord grants a vow... You are to go and to bring this sacrifice, and it's required to be a specific amount. But what's interesting with what Hannah brings of these three things, with the bull, the flour, and the wine, she brings much more than what's required. Because what we see here is a very thankful woman. She's filled with thankfulness as she brings this to the house of the Lord. And she worships the Lord by bringing this. And then what happens in the last verse? He worshiped the Lord there. Who is the he? It's Samuel, right? It's Samuel. If you have the New Living Translation, mark out they and put he, all right? Uh, 
It's, it's he. It's he. It's Samuel. Uh, Samuel, at the age of three, is worshiping the Lord in the house of the Lord. That's a beautiful picture. And so what, what's going on here? I want to give us three points from this text, simply this morning. The first thing we see is what? Children are a gift from God. They are a gift from the Lord. We clearly see that, that God closes and opens the womb. He is the giver of gifts, of good gifts, and he is the giver of children. In Psalm 127, verse 3, the Bible tells us, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so from being barren, Hannah, now to the birth of Samuel, we see this isn't just a coincidence. Oh, that she happened to pray and, and all this. Oh, this, this happens. No, this is the work of God. And every child is a gift from God. This is a supernatural gift from God. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And that's what children are. They are a gift from God. And so what do we do with them? <laughs> what do we do with this gift? How do we steward this great gift that God gives to us? It's an important question for parents, grandparents, caregivers, the church as a whole. How do we care? How do we steward the gift of children? I think the second thing we see here is that we're to do two things. We're to give ourselves and our children to the Lord, just as Hannah did. Look at Verse 9 through 11, she's, she's praying to the Lord. And what does she say here? She said, Lord, will you give me a son? And then she says, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. But the first thing we see with Hannah is she gave herself to the Lord first. No doubt you've maybe been on an airplane before, or you've seen movies, or you've heard about this happening on a plane. When you get on a plane, one of the first things that happens when they're ready to take off, you'll have the flight attendant get up and she'll give you instructions that in case of emergency, um, there will be an, a mask, an oxygen mask that will fall out of uh, the ceiling above you and you're to take that. And you're directed to do what as an adult? To take that and put that on your face first, and then if you have a child or a young child next to you, then secondly, you help them with that mask. Life is just like that. Life is like a flight that we're on, on Jesus' airways, right? And our relationship with God is that proverbial oxygen mask. And, and as parents, you and I are to put on the mask first, that spiritually we are to tend to our souls first, and then tend to the souls of our children. As lightning strikes in life, as turbulence comes and problems come until we land into the kingdom of God one day forever. And so we've got to, as parents and children, we need to have the mask on to stay alive, to stay alert. And in order for this to happen, parents, we've got to put on the mask first. And so I want you to hear today, the first point, I, th I think, of parenting is so huge is, is that you and I, we've got to tend our to tend to our own souls. We've got to give ourselves to the Lord first. And that means having a, a steady diet of, of God's word, of, of prayer, of worship, of, of giving, of serving, of building relationships, healthy relationships with God's people so that we're remaining in the presence of God and walking with the Lord. That's what Hannah did. He gave, she gave herself to God 
first. She's in this desperate situation. And she prays to the Lord. We see that. She commits herself to the Lord. Especially when the pressure comes. She's an example to us of how to pray. To to pray about what we're struggling with. To bring our concerns, our desires to the Lord first. And so she committed herself to the Lord first. Second, as parents and caregivers, grandparents, we must give our children to the Lord and tend to their souls. I think first, this includes telling them the gospel. Not just once, but continually. Tell the gospel story to your kiddos often, often. This past Monday, I was going to school with with grace, and I tried to, and I don't do it every day, but I tried to give, share a verse with my kids, and usually uh, that we have a go-to verse, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 31, that uh, whatever you do, uh, whether you eat or drink, uh, do it all for the glory of God. It's, it's our go-to verse. Um, but, but one of the things that I try to do, and um, need to do it more often, but, but Monday I, I did this with Grace. I said, Grace, we got about uh, five minutes to school. I'm going to give you a three-minute gospel presentation. She looks at me, and she's like, well, I know the gospel. I was like, okay, well, here we go. And so just, just shared with her real quick. And just ask her again, Grace, do you, do you believe that? She said, yes, I believe that. And, and one of the things that God has pressed on my heart is I've got to take every moment possible and to express and share the gospel with them, even if they've heard it before and believed in it before. Our kids have to continually hear the gospel story, continually. Um, we've got to make sure that spiritually they are digesting um, the word of God. That they are provided with things, whether it's a devotional. And I have to tell you, one of the things that's hard to find today, at least for me, and so if you have some great resources, that'd be awesome. Um, Student Life has one that, that George found at camp that I thought was great and awesome. It's a 30-day journey through, through God's word. Um, not the entirety of God's word, but part of God's word. Um, and, and so we've got to make sure that our kids are, are digesting intern, internally the word of God and that they are being nourished by their relationship with God, including being in a relationship with other Christians and, and believers. Um, and, and, and so to make sure they are digesting internally. Because what happens a lot of times as parents, we can fo- focus on what? The external and, and expect a certain behavior. But if we focus too much on that, it can lead into bad places. We've got to focus on the internal. Because what comes out of the internal is eventually a life expressed and lived from the outer flow of the heart. The mouth will speak. The life will be lived according to what's in here. And so we've got to focus on the internal. And that's what Hannah did. Now from the beginning, even before Samuel was born, she says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. But it starts with us as parents. If we're not in a healthy, life-sustaining relationship with God, where the Holy Spirit's putting life-giving nourishment into our soul, we will not be able to care for our kids the way that we need to. That's why, like in Mark chapter 12, Jesus was saying the first command is that we are to love God and then to love our neighbor. That's the second part. And so as parents, we've got to model that. We've got to love God and then love our kiddos the way that God has intended us to. So when you think about parenting, what does parenting 
deal with? It deals with two souls, really. Your own soul and then the soul of your kid or kiddos. And think about this. One of the mind-bending things we learn as young kids is that our planet is amazing. And it would totally fall out of whack. Life would end. Everything would end if it stopped orbiting around the sun like it does. Do you remember that as a kid when, when you tried to first understand that massive concept? That without the sun to orbit around our planet, we would fly out of position and that life on it would completely end? Well, think about this. Your soul, my soul, is like our planet. Our soul was made to orbit around God. And so I want you to think about that. When it comes to tending to our soul first, what is our soul orbiting around? And so as parents, first of all, if our soul is orbiting around ourself, right? Obviously, that's, that's not what God intended it to do. The second is, as parents, if we make our child the center of our universe, we put them in the place that God should occupy. They become the motivation of our life, the center of our life, the source of our joy, the source of our identity. We worship them by sacrificing money, energy, time, and best years of our life for them. And then if they disappoint us, they fail us or grow up, and then they move out, we are then destroyed because, guess what? Our little G-God failed us. And when that kind of parent-child relationship happens, everyone loses. And so we've got to be careful that our soul is not orbiting around our kids. And that can happen very easily. And so where, what should our soul be orbiting around? Obviously, God. That, that we... And our children would have our lives orbiting around God. Everyone learns. What does that mean? Everyone learns to find their identity, their security, their purpose, and relationship with God. They trust God to save them. They trust God to love them. They trust God to guide them. And so the parent and the child love one another without having to be God for one another. Because they've learned that God, their soul needs to orbit around God. And so an example of a God-centered parent-child relationship is set by Hannah here. After Samuel was, was born and weaned, she responded in worship, declaring that her life, her family, would orbit around God. And how do we see that? Why don't you look at this little verse in verse 1 of chapter 2. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I just want you to see this one verse. What does she say? I mean, this is very similar, similar to Mary, right? When she finds out she's conceived and uh, she's going to have a child, Jesus, Right? And she sings a very similar song. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. Wow. So I have this kid now. I've committed him to you, Lord. I've raised him for three years. I'm giving him to you and leaving him here at the house of the Lord. And she sings, My heart exalts in the Lord. Hannah knew that the first step in parenting is to get our soul orbiting around God so that we can then help our child do the same. That's what she does. We see that. And the third point this morning, real simply, we started here, I want you to see it again. Exalting the Lord. That's our goal as parents, to exalt the Lord that our kids would exalt the Lord. And so look at verse 28. That's what happens. And he worshiped the Lord there. Samuel, very young age, probably three exalting God with his life that will be a life of ministry in a very important role as we will see. 
This is the goal of parenting, right? That one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So we as parents, what are we to do? We're to make worshipers of God. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, he says we are to make disciples of all nations. That includes parents. We are to make disciples of our kiddos, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons we love when, when um, kids get baptized, to have dads baptize their kiddos. We just, we love that because we think it's a great picture of what God has called parents to do. Um, and then Jesus says, verse 20, he, he tells us to, to teach them everything that Jesus has commanded us. And we're to do that as, as parents. We're to do that. That's our role, to exalt God to the next generation. Um, so this includes bringing children to worship. Even, even though, man, at 8 o'clock or 8.30 or whenever it is, they're like, I'm tired, I don't want to get up, right? You got that? Well, you shouldn't stay up and watch the movie, right? Um, I don't feel good, but I was okay to go to a game, you know, Thursday or whatever. I mean, you know, how many, nobody deals with that? Okay. Um, but, but we build that in as an expectation that, hey, we, we, we come to worship. It's important that they, they come. They come to classes, to small groups, that, and they're around other believers their age. We think that's significant um, and important to, for them to be encouraged, but also them to be an encouragement to others. But here's one thing I would also tell you, because I think we see with Elkanah, interesting thing here, that the goal is not just to, to show up, right? The goal is not just to show up. Elkanah seemed to be a guy, he just showed up. I, I, I'm taking this liberty here, and I mean, could be a little off base here, but I, I don't think so. I think I'm pretty close. Elkanah, I mean, he goes to the yearly sacrifice. He goes to the festival, right? He, he shows up when he's supposed to show up. But that's the extent of it. And we don't want to just teach our kids that. We, we want to teach our kids to love Jesus, right? To love Christ. We want to focus on the external, on the heart. That their life would exalt God. Not just in, in mere profession, even though that's huge. But in commitment and conviction. Knowing, as Romans 12, 1, 2 says, to present our lives as a body, a holy living and sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's a life. It's been changed to live for Christ. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may pr prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. One of the things I've realized recently is... Um, with my kiddos, and, and we've got them spread out here from 4, 9, 12, and 14 now, and when they start getting older, one of the things I've learned is I, I can help them with the will of God to, to a certain point and a certain time in life, but my time is on, on at least my oldest one is, is starting to run out a little bit to where there is a point where he's going to have to start making decisions on his own what the will of God is. And I want him to already start knowing that and seeing that and recognize it. But there's a point where I start to come out of the picture. Even though I'm going to be able to help him and parenting is going to change a little bit as he gets older and older, I've got to help and guide him to that point where he starts 
knowing and proving what the will of God is on his own. And that's one of my goals is, as a parent. I've got to help him discern how do I do that, how do I seek the Lord, how do I know God's will. And it's so huge that he has it here, right, that they have it here internally, that that mask is on. But it starts with me first, putting the mask on myself and then helping them, exalting God to them. And so as parents, man, it's hard. <laughs> it's tough. There's going to be days where we wonder, am I doing this right? And we will beat ourselves up at times. And maybe say, man, I'm failing at this. And maybe even a message like this, you feel like, man, I'm just not getting this right. That's not the goal. The goal is to look at a model like Hannah. And to look at her life. She sought the Lord first. She sought the Lord. Praise God we have Jesus. <laughs> Praise God, we have our, our great rescuer, our great help. And as we close today, I want you to hear just a snippet of the beauty of God in Jesus Christ where he sent his son to help us. We are all lost. We are all Elkanahs who made bad choices, whatever it may look like. And we all need a rescuer. We need our sins forgiven. We, we need a relationship with God. And God helped us just like he did with Hannah. He went from closing her womb to opening her womb. And what did God do? God made a way for us. He provided a way. He provided Jesus, his one and only son, to die for us. And so if you're here today, you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to hear whether a parent, grandparent, caregiver, wherever you're at in life, that's where you've got to begin. You've got to hear today, I need that proverbial oxygen mask. I need that relationship with God. And the only way you can have that relationship is through Jesus Christ who died for you and shed his blood for you so that you could have life and your sins could be forgiven. You could have eternal life forever. So if you've never trusted in Christ today, may you turn to Christ. Begin there. Trust him. Hannah trusted him with his li her life and the tough times. And you can too. Begin there today by trusting in Jesus is your Savior. Let me pray with you.